Hi, this is Pastor Danny Deeth, and I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us here at First Presbyterian Church for worship today. Know that the love, grace, mercy, and joy of Jesus Christ beckon you to join our church family as we seek to celebrate our journey with Christ in this service of worship. So we're glad you're here. Come on in. We're reading from Titus, its last chapter out of three, starting with verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is sure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Christmas Day has come and gone. And while we in the church are still in the season of Christmas, there is another milestone coming up this week. It's the beginning of a new year. On Wednesday, we will be in the year 2020. Can you believe it? I can't. So I have a question for you. Are you making a New Year's resolution this year? Raise your hand if you are. Okay. I don't know that you're a very good sampling because those who research these sorts of things say that 45% of Americans make a New Year's resolution. The rest are perhaps older and wiser and know the folly of such things. But okay, now a question for you. Can you guess the number one New Year's resolution? Going to the gym and losing weight. That's right. Those are the top ones. But there are other uh, New Year's resolutions. People resolve to manage their money better or to find a new hobby, a way to enjoy their life more. Um, but one, one thing we do know, whether it's at a New Year or not, that goal setting can be a very powerful tool for personal growth and change. I like what Yogi Berra said about this. He said, if you don't know where you're going, you might just wind up somewhere else. Okay, so in the passage I'm going to read to you today from Philippians, we've got the Apostle Paul. We've, we're going to let J Danny get back to Christmas and the Jesus stories next week, but I'm going to take you on a journey with Paul. And Paul is resolving to pursue a particular goal in his life. He wants to grow in knowing Jesus. And I think that in this, he lays out a perfect challenge for us for the new year to consider perhaps what our spiritual focus will be in 2020. Now, this message should not be a guilt trip. 
It's not designed to add to your to-do list. But I think that as we consider Paul's words together, I hope we can all catch some of his enthusiasm for life in Christ. So Paul is writing to his beloved church at Philippi. It was a church he founded. And the church at Philippi, um, well, Philippi itself was a Roman city. It didn't have many Jewish inhabitants. So most of the converts in this particular church were Gentiles. And there's another special thing about this letter. It's that Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi when he was in prison. So let's hear the words of encouragement he has for them. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord To write these same things to you is not troublesome for me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, who worship the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I, too, have reason to have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God is based in faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death. If somehow I may attain resurrection from the dead, Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, the church at Philippi, it was a healthy church of Gentiles, but it was also a distracted church there were some preachers who might have even been taking advantage of Paul's imprisonment and were preaching what Paul himself might have called a false gospel. And so in the beginning of this passage, Paul has some very strong words for them. 
He calls these men dogs. You don't get any lower than that. And um, those who mutilate the flesh. Now, these were teachers who insisted that in order to become a Christian, males must first undergo circumcision. You remember that circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with the people of Israel. So these teachers are essentially telling the Philippians that they must first become Jews in order to follow Jesus. And since Christianity does come directly out of Judaism, Jesus was a Jew, you know, it's easy to understand how people can can, uh, believe this. But Paul has higher wisdom, and he says to them, hogwash. Don't be led astray by those false teachers. Their teachers, their teachings are false. They're adding extra unnecessary things, requirements for new believers, when really the only thing required is faith. Paul says that he himself is most qualified to insist on this because before he encountered Jesus, he was a Hebrew of the highest order and he gave his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. And as for righteousness based on the law, Paul himself was blameless. Paul was a faithful Pharisee. That means he knew God's law backwards and forwards. So when many people were convinced that this Jewish rabbi Jesus had not only died on the cross, but risen from death, when those people were spreading that good news about Jesus and his message of hope for all people, um, Paul, Paul, as the Pharisee, said, no, this cannot be. And so he got permission from the powers that be to oversee the extermination of this infant Christ-following movement. You may remember in the book of Acts, it's recorded that Paul, who was then named Saul, watched on as and applauded as the first deacon of the church, was stoned to death. His name was Stephen. Paul's own conversion to Jesus came to him In Acts 9, you can read about it on the road to Damascus, but he describes it eloquently and simply. In his letter to the church at Corinth, he said that he came as one abnormally born. He was on the road to Damascus planning to persecute more Christians when he was blinded by the light of Jesus Christ and he had a very personal and powerful encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And it changed the trajectory of Paul's whole life. He devoted the rest of his days to serving this Jesus. So he went from being a persecutor of the church to being a major proponent of the gospel. Paul knew that the good news of Jesus Christ is so good that God sent Jesus, both man and human, as God's messenger of love and grace for humanity, not just for the Hebrew people, but for all people, including us and those people, those Gentiles in Philippi. Jesus 
lived, he died, he was raised from death as a demonstration of God's redeeming and reconciling love for all people. So Paul, his gospel message, the good news of Jesus, is all about grace. We call him the apostle of grace. And as Jimmy read to you this morning, he wrote to his friend Titus, uh, Jesus saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs according to hope of the hope of eternal life. So Paul insisted that salvation is a gift of God and that a person receives this gift by faith in Christ. It's not faith plus circumcision equals salvation. It's not faith plus extraordinary good works equals salvation. It's not faith plus scrupulous following of God's law equals salvation. No, it is by the grace of God that we have been saved. So while this world, and maybe even some part of your own human nature, will have you believe that in this new year, you need to try harder you need to do better. You ought to do more to earn the grace of God and the love of God and the love of other people. Paul and I want to whisper something important into your ear. The word is grace. Don't forget it. Paul never did. God loves you and wants to walk with you and be with you. So, Paul, he writes to the church at Philippi, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, I consider everything else loss. Paul considers knowing Christ the greatest goal, the greatest way of being that there is. So what does it mean to know Christ? A lot of you have been in church long enough to know that when the Bible says no, a little bell ought to go off in your head, ding, ding, ding. Because in the Bible, knowledge is much greater than giving intellectual assent to a set of um, beliefs. Not knowledge in the Bible, to know in the Bible is an experiential knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. So to know Christ is to know not just what to believe about Christ, the facts, but to know Christ in your heart and to submit your will to Christ. So what we believe is important. The, we stand up every week, and we'll do it again today, and say those words of the Apostles' Creed. Those tenets of our faith are so essential but it's not just that that God wishes from us, being able to say that. But God wants to enter our hearts so that we might have a relationship with Jesus. That's what knowing's all about in the Bible. It's about remaining connected to the God who longs to give us life and new life. It's about teaching us to rely on the grace of God for forgiveness of our sins, for strength to meet a new day, for a sense of gratitude in life, for hope for the future, not just for eternity, but every day we walk with God. It's just not something that you and I are able to do on our own steam. We need 
God's help. So, I love this idea of growing in knowing Christ. What would it look like to know Christ more, to make that a New Year's kind of goal for us? Is that too vague or too amorphous? Paul, I think, gives us some pretty specific directions in his letter. He paints a word picture of the Christian life as an athletic pursuit. He writes, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Can't you just see a runner at the starting line with his eyes intently ahead on the prize, focused on the goal? As I contemplated this particular part of this passage, I saw three things in this verse that encouraged me, and I'm going to use a little alliteration here, so just bear with me. It helps me remember where I'm going. I see three points in here. Focus, forgetting, and fortitude. So first, focus. Paul says, I gotta have a focus. This one thing I do. One of Paul's big one things is to grow in knowing Jesus. Everything else he considers loss. This doesn't mean that he thinks that his background as a Pharisee and highly trained, um, one highly trained in God's law was really rubbish. It simply meant that he needed to move past that, past his history, in order to move forward into the future that God was calling him into. Paul was future-focused. In every circumstance, he tried to depend on Christ, to know Christ, to just seek Christ more. It was a transcendent value for him. So what is the focus of your life? If you were to ask me this uh, outside of a church setting, I might tell you that my focus is uh, my family, or getting my health in order, or learning a new skill, or right now I'm reading a new book. But Paul challenges us. He asks us this question, do you have a spiritual focus? Are you seeking ways to grow in your faith? And how are you doing that? There are many, many ways to do that. But I'll uh, give you one big caveat. The only thing I want to say about it is growing in our faith in Christ is not and cannot be a solo endeavor. God made us to be a people of Christian community. We grow together. God teaches us with the help and the love of others in our church family and in our broader community. So the first thing is focus, a spiritual focus. The second thing Forgetting, forgetting. Paul writes, this one thing I do, he focused, forgetting what is behind. Now, y'all, sometimes all of us are distracted by things from our past. And in order to focus, there are some things we need to forget. Paul needed to forget how good it felt to be a proud Pharisee, didn't he? He had to forget all the respect he had as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem. He had to forget some of that. Those were all good things, but they were not central to God's present mission for him. 
And some of us, like Paul, need to forget some of our successes. Not completely, but if all we're focused on is the glory days of the past, we will never be able to move forward to what God has for us in this day. But as I thought about Paul, there were other things, some pretty dark things that Paul had to put behind him. Things that Paul had confessed to God, things that God had forgiven him for, things that he had to ask the forgiveness of others for. Paul, among many other things, had to forget the stoning of Stephen, didn't he? If he let his feelings of guilt and shame dominate his life, he would always be looking backwards and never looking forward. So he had to focus forward. And to do that, he had to forget some things. I think if you read the Bible from beginning to end, you'll see a lot of Bible characters who had some things to forget. What do you think about King David? Don't you think that after the Lord had forgiven him, he had to kind of put behind him the adultery he committed with Bathsheba and the way he arranged for her husband's murder? Eek. What about Peter? Do you think that Peter just had to let go of the fact that he denied Jesus three times so that he could move forward with the new church after Jesus was resurrected? And Thomas, good old doubting Thomas. We're so glad we know about him because so we can all relate to him at one time or another. But he really had to forget that he doubted the Lord's resurrection in order to move forward. So what do you need to forget in your life in order to grow in knowing Christ? Some of you may be so bogged down with failures and disappointments from your past that you're having trouble mustering the energy to move forward. Do you find sometimes that you get tripped up by bitterness or anxiety, regret over things that are long gone? Friends, there are some things that we just need to lay at the foot of Christ's cross and do what we need to do to make things the best that we can and keep moving forward. What do you need to forget in order to get unstuck and to grow into 2020? So you've got two, focus, forgetting, and now the third is fortitude. Paul paints this picture of an athlete straining forward, focused on the goal, the prize, of knowing Christ and growing in grace. So if you're an athlete or you've ever participated in a sport, you know about athletic training. Training takes a lot of mental and emotional stamina. It takes fortitude. It's not just in athletics. If you've ever pursued a college or a master's degree, if you've ever tried to master a musical instrument or an art, if you have ever mastered the tra trades of electrician or plumber, you know that it takes persistent effort. So to develop this kind of fortitude in our faith, we have to train, we have to practice. And so this has a lot of things in common with how we grow in faith. Training happens regularly. 
sometimes daily. Although, if you're especially, if you're training in anything, God gave us the Sabbath for a reason. Training also involves rest. So it's both regularity, regular attention and rest. And as you train, the intensity of your workout increases. As you get stronger and more capable, you have to keep pushing yourself to the edge. So there's that in spiritual training too. Training uh, is not a solo endeavor, like I said. We are all in training together. If you're training for anything in particular, you will have coaches or teachers. You certainly will surround yourself with a community, if you can, of like-minded people who have similar goals. That's what we in the church are here together for. In training, there are many, many obstacles. There's exhaustion, fatigue, um, there's forgetting, there's lack of time, there's flagging, motivation. But these same principles of training apply to us nonetheless. It is our fortitude in training that will carry us through the obstacles that we meet. And one more thing. I think we sell Paul's image of training and fortitude short if we think to ourselves, well, this is only something that applies to young folks because they're the ones with all the stamina and the strength and they have all the questions and they have brains that can re retain everything. Y'all, that's just not true. The truth is, at least in my experience, that some of the greatest spiritual growth happens in human beings in their more advanced years as we learn to grow in love for God and for others and just accepting the grace that comes with the limitations that are inevitable. So Paul's given us these tools to take with us into the new year. So are you growing? Are you growing in knowing Christ? Do you need God's help to grow in love towards someone in your life who is absolutely unlovable? Sometimes I do. Do you need God's forgiveness? You know, it's there for the asking. And the Spirit will guide you as to how to ask for it and then how to make good with those you may have hurt. Do you need a new practice? Do you need to just start reading your Bible every day or before you go to bed? Or maybe a new discipline of prayer? Do you need to start a new way of serving here in the church, in the city? Maybe the Lord would have you go to Guatemala with some of those youth. Now, wouldn't that be a growing experience? Sometimes our growth comes in the most unexpected places. Often it's in conversations with people, friends and family, and, and then our faith will come up. And we find ourselves at the brink of telling a story about what God means to us. We grow when we tell others about our faith. There are so many ways to grow. So I want to leave you with this. Some of you remember Sir Edmund Hillary, the first man to scale to the peak of Mount Everest. Hillary made many, many attempts 
to get to the peak of Mount Everest. And every time he tried, he failed. And every time he failed, he tried again. And it is said that after one of his failures, one of his many, he stood at the base of that mountain and he said, he shook his fist and he said, I will defeat you yet because you're as big as you're going to get, but I'm going to keep growing. Don't you love that? Every time he tried, he failed. Every time he failed, he tried again. And he learned and he grew and he didn't give up. And so it is with the Christian life. Let us not give up, but keep our eyes on the prize of growing and knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia and amen.